Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and a very warm welcome to On the Continent on the Football Ramble Daily. My name's Luke Moore. I'm Andy Brassel. And today, in this beautiful morning here in uh, South London, and Andy, you are just down the road from where I am, so I know it's absolutely beautiful uh, where you are too. Uh, We've got plenty of things to talk about, but before we do that, first of all, Andy, how are you keeping? Um, I'm well, thank you. Uh, Feeling much better than I did last week. Uh, So yeah, onwards and upwards. Great. Um, Good to hear. And before we get into it, I've just got a couple of bits of housekeeping. The first one is um, if you didn't listen to Jim Campbell's Fantasy Five-A-Side with our very own Jules Breach yesterday, you must, must, must go back and listen to it. If you've slept on it or you skipped it, go and listen to it. It's fantastic. It's so entertaining. And uh, I know I'm biased because I love Jules anyway, but her Five-A-Side team are brilliant. It's hilarious. Uh, It's got a brilliant um, non footballer uh, guest player as well which is the highlight of the episode for me generally but this one is particularly good so do go back and listen to that it's um it's yesterday's episode as we record now so um yeah wednesday's episode go and give that a listen uh, and the second piece of admin is thank you very much to everyone who's supported us through patreon so far um it's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily there are plenty of extra pieces of audio and shows and uh, accesses to other listeners uh, thoughts and uh, chat on the discord andy brassel you signed up to the discord as well last week i did so there's lots of reason to get involved yourself and you can do so uh, for as little as $5 a month and many, many thanks to people who've done that already. We appreciate your support. Great. Um, I'll give the URL one more time, patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Andy, anything from you admin-wise? What cup of tea are you drinking and what mug? Um, I'm having a pucker turmeric active out of my Estadio Ramon Sanchez Pijuan mug, you know, which has got that incredible mosaic on the yeah. outside of the stadium. The mosaic is on the side of the mug. Mate, that is so on brand for you. It's unreal. Is, is, would, that type <laughs> of, would that type of tea be your breakfast tea of choice? Because yeah, we're recording this in the morning, as I've already mentioned. Um, yes, it, it would. Um, it's particularly good for the throat. Um, so it's, it's very much um, drunk on behalf of the Football Ramble Daily Cause. Great. And because I'm as well known among uh, in this parish as being the most basic of bitches, I am drinking a builder's tea in a Borussia Dortmund mug yes. because I am mainstream and fairly proud of it. Um, for example, uh, just before we started this recording, I was talking about Carly Rae Jepsen. That's how much of a basic bitch I am. Anyway, let's... You're, n- uh, you're never not talking about Carly Rae that Jepsen. Is- also true. That is also I, I, true. I mean, you know, this would be called on the Jepson if this was down to you. That is an entirely different show, Andy, and I'm not <laughs> going to endorse that at all. I'm not going to deny it, but I'm not going to endorse it. Um, let's start off in the Bundesliga, shall we? Uh, the Bundesliga teams are back in training in groups of five. Um, initially, an exception to that was uh, Werder Bremen, who have since received special dispensation. Um, to do so as well. Um, current guidelines in Germany ban groups of more than two congregating and clubs had been training uh, remotely in what they've referred to as cyber training sessions, which is an awful phrase. Um, but they are now training in up to groups of five. Facilities such as showers and dressing rooms won't be available to players and players and staff have been told to observe all hygiene regulations at all times and there are signs about social distancing around the respective training grounds. Um, there's already been an issue, though, at Bayern um, with Kingsley Coman and Corentin Tolisso and a twisted ankle Andy. Is that right? Yes. First day um, of, of them being able to train in fives, uh, Sabina Strasser. And so what's the first thing that happens? Uh, Kingsley Coman and Corentin Tolisso 
turn up and give each other a hug. <laughs> against the regulations, against <laughs> the social distancing regulations, and that should Despite be a hefty fact, fine. Well, there, are, there are signs all over Sabina Strasse saying, um, you know, you need to stay 1.5 metres apart, which, you know, I think is pretty permissive in the circumstances. And, um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's just, I guess, they're so excited to see each other. It's just it's a force of habit. Um, because Florian Kofeld, you talked about Werder Bremen there. Well, Florian Kofeld, the Werder Bremen coach, had been saying um, earlier in the week that the fact that you've got to train in fours or fives just means you've got to be more imaginative about how you can get the the, the most out of the the session. Now, clearly, there's 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 no contact, um, but for example, what Kofeld's done is he's paired a couple of fullbacks with a striker and a goalkeeper. So they can work on something together, both defensively and and offensively. Um, but yeah, after this like rather ordinary start to um, Bayern getting cracking again, uh, Coran Sotoliso having um, breached the social distancing guidelines, then went and twisted his ankle. What a first oh day back, eh? Well, he's never he's never too far away from an injury, is he? No, no, it's, it's, it's fair to say. Also, these Bundesliga clubs have got to be careful because they've got a lot of nosy neighbours. Now, the, the thing we've got to bear in mind when we talk about the social distancing rules and the congregation rules, Luke, is the fact that Germany operates on a federal system, so therefore rules are made regionally rather than nationally, generally That's speaking. That's why the Werder Bremen thing was an exception for a while, wasn't it? Ex- exactly, um, because that, that had been one of the things on the final, what would have been the final weekend of the Bundesliga, where they were going to play it behind closed doors. One of the things before Stefan Baumgart, the, the coach of Paderborn, showed symptoms of, of coronavirus was the fact that the authorities in um, Bremen, ahead of the Werder Bremen match, which was going to be on the Monday night, I think against Eintracht Frankfurt, is that they were particularly concerned about supporters congregating outside the ground, as had happened not just at Paris Saint-Germain, but earlier that same night at Borussia Mönchengladbach when they played the first Geisterspiel, ghost game, um, the first ever game in the Bundesliga behind closed doors, and it was the derby against um, Cologne. And I think that would have led to the authorities in Bremen putting the block on that that game happening, whatever the Bundesliga decided. But you've got to be beware, not just of federal rules, but of um, net curtain rustlers, because there have been anonymous complaints filed against both Wolfsburg and Hanover um, in the Braunschweig District Court and in the, the Hanover Court about them breaching congregation guidelines by starting to train again, despite the fact that that is a general Bundesliga guideline. Right. That's interesting. Also, another aspect to that, Andy, is I believe I'm right in saying that um, it's quite common for fans to go and watch training sessions in Germany. Yes. And um, they obviously won't be able to do that. So it'll be a slightly different situation for for the players on that front as well, particularly if it was um, ahead of a a big upcoming game. It wouldn't be uncommon to see hundreds and hundreds of fans watching the training sessions, would it? Yeah, that absolutely. Although clearly that that's not going to be allowed for a while. I mean, no. Christian Seifert, the um, chief executive of the Bundesliga, has um, said that they're they're hoping to move towards a restart, but he doesn't imagine supporters being allowed back in the ground this calendar year. So we'll have right. to see how that develops because uh, Bill, the newspaper, floated earlier this week that either May the second or May the ninth could be the date for the restart of, of, of the Bundesliga. I mean, I think generally most um, leagues are on board with like two or three weeks of full training before they get back to playing in, in, in league competition. Um, but but clearly there's a there's a financial imperative and um, well listen that is that is a really important point let, let, let's let's yeah. get on to that then because virologists in Germany have commented a May restart could be possible at this stage although they've yes. warned that plan would involve a huge amount of testing and this is starting to become key now for German football because we're getting to a stage where it's desperate to restart as soon as possible because the financial imperative is so strong I heard our colleague Kev Hatchard say that potentially four Bundesliga clubs and 50% of Bundesliga Zwei clubs could file for bankruptcy if the final tranche of broadcasting money doesn't materialise. Now, 
it's clear this 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 virus is going to affect the world in a, in a number of different ways. But focusing just on the football for the moment, because that's what we're here for, it's becoming absolutely abundantly clear that this is going to be a, a dramatic game changer all over uh, European football. Um, when I heard that, I was actually quite frightened for what that meant. What, what's your take on it? Well, I, I think it can seem incredibly heartless, um, like looking forward when, when everything that's happening in the world is happening in the world, talking about financial imperatives. But the reality is people need to work and we need to have at least a semblance of economy to come back to whatever your job is. Yeah. And, um, in in and around the, the Bundesliga clubs, in terms of non-playing staff at the various clubs, you're looking at an industry that, well, a, a, probably every major league props up anywhere between like 60,000 and 80,000 employees in, in each of those leagues. And even more if you're talking about uh, indirectly. Uh, yeah. So this is a big deal. It was interesting to see uh, Schalke putting out a statement this week where they were talking about how they would um, appreciate fans not asking for their money back on the remainder of their season tickets. And in fact, what they're doing is they're issuing a special Schalke shirt to everyone who doesn't ask for the rest of their season ticket money back. And um, that they put out a statement saying, um, each individual waiver is an immense contribution to stabilizing the liquidity of the club and ensuring the survival of the club which I thought was quite interesting because Schalke are an absolutely massive club. We'll yeah. talk about it again and again and again. You know, this is in terms of bums on seats and um, people through the turnstiles, this is one of the like top 10 biggest clubs in the world. So for, for them to be in that situation just shows how, as you say, how far reaching it is. Yeah, it's really difficult balancing act to to. I mean, of course, the most important thing is that as many people as possible are healthy and and stay clear of this virus, or if they yeah. sadly contracted it, recover from it. And, and yeah, we know that. I mean, we said that a hundred times already since this has all happened. People listening know that that's the most important thing, and we don't need to keep keep repeating it. But if we focus on the football. It's, in, it's incredible to watch as it unfolds over the weeks because what's going to happen is clubs, as you've said, Andy, even the size of Schalke, are going to be in big trouble if there is no effectively no product, um, which is what the football is. And it affects so many different people in so many different industries, ourselves included. Mm. Um, and it's also unprecedented. So uh, we were saying on Monday on, um, on the Ramble with the other guys that essentially you know, what's happening, what we're seeing unveil, unfurl in real time is just these the ideas, like creative ideas that are being leaked or being briefed to journalists of, of suggestions on how to fix this because it's never been encountered before and there isn't a solution really that anyone can mm. think of and there certainly isn't a solution that's going to suit everyone. But what's really important, um, you know, the next the next priority after people's um, health and their lives is the idea that these proud institutions, wherever they are in, in Europe or beyond, that have been around for, in some cases, well over 100 years, and been focal points of communities throughout most of that time um, are protected and can continue to function because people are always going to want to watch football. And it's no good, particularly in Germany, because we're focusing on that at the moment for, you know, half the professional clubs to no longer be existing. I mean, that's just not, that's just not an outcome that anyone wants to see, is it? No, ab- absolutely. And um, like I said, when you're talking about a club of that sort of size being in danger, it is a reminder of, you know, how how sort of parlous it all is really. Um, but having said that, um, that there is still football life going on and we go back to Bayern at the start. I mean, they've signed off two big new contracts this week yes. with a slight reduction temporarily like everyone yes. else. Yeah, let's focus on that. I mean, it's Hansi Flick, uh, the manager and um, Thomas Muller. Uh, let's start with Flick. Um, he's signed a new contract at the club, uh, came in to replace the... Um, Shall we say? Let me just put this diplomatically. The underappreciated Nico Kovac, shall we say? <laughs> um, for whatever reasons, you can fill in the blanks on that. Um, but Flick has won eighteen of twenty-one games in charge. Worth pointing out the games he's lost in the Bundesliga. I think it's not even two of them. They were narrow defeats, and at least one of them they should have won. <clears throat> both from of what them. I saw, both, uh, both of them, them you should have won. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll upgrade that to both of them. They've been excellent <laughs> under him, from what I've seen. Um, presumably, you'd agree, Andy. But you did say to me the other day that you weren't sure if this contract would have been so forthcoming had we not been in the middle of this crisis. No. No, I'm I'm really not convinced because I think um, they 
have looked at this from a sort of united with Solskjaer perspective in that everything was going fantastically, but why should they give him the contract, a, a permanent contract to be permanent head coach before the end of the season? And I, I think that's pretty fair reasoning. Um, not because I think him and uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are directly comparable in, in, in terms of their ability or their situation or the, their effect on their respective teams, but there's simply no rush. And of course, Hansi Flick's people have wanted to get this over the line for a while. They've been saying, well, we've had calls from elsewhere in Europe. Now, maybe that is the case, but I think it's exactly the sort of thing that your agent should say when he's trying to get you um, signed to a a proper deal. I don't think they would have done this before the end of the season, but I think um, this is linked to um, not just managerial moves and coaching moves uh, going into the close season, whenever the close season will be. Um, but just the whole uncertainty of moves of football personnel between clubs. I think um, in terms of what Hansi Flick has, has given to Bayern so far, I think they wanted to see, and, um, you know, the the, 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 the president of, of, of Bayern had said, well, you know, we want to, um, you know, he's going to be judged on trophies at, at the end of it, uh, I think that's 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 pretty clear. But also, you know, when when will that judgment be able to be made? I think they've just really done the the smart thing. And Herbert Hayner coming out and 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 saying, you know, he'll eventually be judged on trophies is is no surprise to anyone. But when you don't know when those trophies are going to be awarded, I think this is the sensible conservative approach. And of course. Thomas Tuchel, depending on whether you know the Champions League finishes or not, that might affect whether he's still at Paris Saint-Germain going into next season. We know they've been interested in him for a, a long time. But what's really been the difference with Bayern under Hansi Flick is the fact that they began to look like Bayern again. For the first time, arguably, since Pep Guardiola, you can have little bits of the Carlo Ancelotti era. But generally, the fact that you know they're they're playing with... Uh, attacking intent with real vigor um that's been the huge difference and the the fact that the players have have responded to him and and respected him has has been absolutely huge as well because that is not a given with a coach at Bayern no well as we we've mentioned Nico Kovac already um the the um yeah, the situation as you as you describe it, Andy, is, is for me is spot on. I mean, he's done a good job. Um, they, they we're in a very very uncertain situation at the moment, and it might be a bit reductionist to say this, but it could just be a case of this is one less thing to worry about. We can't control yeah. so many of these so. aspects of football at the moment, but we can control this. Let's let's double down on 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 flick, and so we know where we are with things when football comes back. And and on on Thomas Muller, um, who's also signed a new contract, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm sort of a little bit disappointed in that from a football point of view, chiefly because I would have liked to have seen him um, sort of ply his trade somewhere else. But it's just because he's done everything at Bayern, he's done everything in German football, he's won the Champions League as well, he's won the World Cup. Um, but I-, I wonder whether because he's so settled in at Bayern and because he's a senior pro there and um, he clearly is very happy there, I wonder whether this Premier League interest was just a really a very convenient thing for him when it comes to, to to driving a hard bargain with Bayern when it comes to his next contract and whether he actually had any intention at all of leaving the club. I'm I'm not convinced that he did. Um mm. but in, in fairness the Premier League speculation is nothing new. I mean he's he's signed for Manchester United more times than Nicholas Gaitan, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I I think if you if you look at Muller though the perception of him inside Germany and outside Germany is is, is very very different. I don't think anyone um, outside Germany really uh, inside Germany, sorry, really ever lost sight of his value. But I think outside Germany, particularly with the the, the way that he's played this season, there's been a sense of oh he's back when really he never went away. Um, I mean, much of his aura, you could argue, was fragilized by people reading Pep Confidential who looked at him and thought, oh, well, Pep Guardiola didn't rate him enough to put him in midfield. And it's like, well, yeah, but isn't that really, like the, the idea of nailing him down is an, to, to any particular position 
is an intrinsic misunderstanding of what and what Thomas Muller is and how he works. The fact is, is he he does look like a very old school footballer because you know he's no um, physically he's no Bison. He's not incredible in the air. He's not unbelievably quick. He's not even unbelievably skillful on the ball, is he? No. But the fact that he's this kind of undetectable player is what gives him his value. The fact that you can't nail him to any particular position is what gives him value. Yeah, um, I, th- I fact- think he, um, he, he, sorry, just to cut, just to cut, on the things that he does do well, he, he passes the ball very well. Uh, he keeps the ball well. He makes the right decision. He's not. Uh, there's nothing really that glamorous about him, but he, he he delivers at the very top level a tremendous amount of appearances every year, and he weighs in with his fair share of goals more often than not, and assists as well. I mean, he's a very very useful player to have. And the only criticism people can level at him is they don't quite understand what he brings, or he's not glamorous enough. Then I'm sure you know. I'm sure he'll he won't that won't cause him to lose any sleep. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And uh, I think he's he's come back into his own since Niko Kovac has, has gone because Kovac and him didn't see eye to eye at all. I don't think Kovac could really find a way to to, to fit him in or always. And, and that's changed. That's one of the things that's changed under Hansi Flick. And, um, you know, it's worked really well, um, not just for Müller, but for Robert Lewandowski as well. The connection between them has has been fantastic. And you look, the fact that Thomas Müller has scored six goals in 18 Bundesliga starts, he's laid on another 16 in that time. 16 I mean, assists, yeah. That, that's, that's pretty incredible. But if you go back through the numbers, year after year after year, he's a very, very good linking player. He's as good as it gets in, in terms of that. And he will always chip in in terms of creating goals for other players. And that's not even talking about the space he creates with the movement, which for me is his premier quality. But of course, what's so valuable about him, particularly to Bayern, is the fact that they feel this need. And the way that Bayern has, has always run in, in, in recent decades, it's about that Bayern DNA that runs the club. And, you know, that has gone up top to uh, Hernis, uh, Rummenigge, uh, Franz Beckenbauer in his day. And you've seen that now with um, Oliver Kahn. Um, being co-opted onto the board and he'll be key for them going forward. But going back to the Guardiola era, and it's something we've talked about before on OTC, the the pain of Bastian Schweinsteiger leaving was something that was immensely tough. Only rivaled by the pain of him arriving. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's that's the thing. On a sporting level, there's absolutely no argument. You know, Guardiola has been proved more than right in getting rid of him from Bayern. But that doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It really hurt. And that idea of someone who's um, part of the club, who gets what Bayern are about, who get what they think, that will always be important for them. That will always absolutely. be hugely important for them. And he, he's he's a he's a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just great news for, for Bayern Munich, I think. And, and even if he is underrated and people can't quite place him or he's enjoyed or sorry he's suffered a reputational uh, impact from from Pep Guardiola then I mean he is still finished in the top 20 in the Ballon d'Or rankings in five separate seasons so um, he can't he can't be doing too bad and he still contributes a hell of a lot as we've just established there so yeah good news for for the Bavarian club Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Andy, over in Spain, um, Javier Tebas has been uh, front and centre, which you'd expect is exactly as, as he likes it. Um, he's, But he has taken a slightly different approach to the current hiatus in football because he's keeping international media informed um, by giving press conferences. And he gave a press conference um, this week saying that the most likely dates for a return in Spain are either the end of May or possibly some point in June. Now, Spain are officially in a state of alarm until April 26th. Mm. And uh, Tebas said himself, this is the current plan based on the advice from the health department and authorities in Spain. He also said null and void is not currently on the table uh, and he feels confident they can finish the season. But my first question on this and Tebas's statement is, is it actually even up to him anyway? Because to me, it feels like he's in hoc and rightly so to whatever the government and the and the authorities want to do because Spain's been hit so badly by this virus. Yeah, and ev- everyone is. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, but it goes back to the beginning and what we were talking about. Um, about I guess he would describe it as preserving the economic integrity of Spanish football. And you know there are a lot of clubs at risk. What I think is so interesting about Tebas' approach is not just that he's involving the international media, but he's forever talking about an international solution. For him, it's very important that uh, top leagues work together. And and he said, I think, top and medium leagues was, was, was the phrase he used. And he said, it's off the table for any of them to to finish early. I, I think that was very interesting hearing him speak about a, a pan-European approach because um, he was saying quite rightly that you know how other nations do it is going to affect us as well because um, Spanish clubs are owed hundreds of millions in transfer fees for future transfers and for subsequent payments on transfers that have already happened. And Clubs need that to survive as much as they need television money. And that's why everyone needs to work together, in his opinion. I think the way he presented it, as you say, gave three separate dates for possible resumption. So 28th of May, 28th of May, 6th of June, 28th of June. I think that's realistic, though, isn't it? Because, you know, you just don't know at this point. As we were saying before, you need time. The players need time to, to play themselves in. But you know they need the tv money there's absolutely no doubt yeah. about the the fact they need the tv money there's a very interesting article actually um this week by um Dermot Corrigan in the athletic about just how barcelona have got themselves in a, in the position where th- this is a, a big threat to them the fact that the financial tap has been turned off now they were doing very well revenue wise um in the first part of 2020 but then for it to just come to a juddering halt they've got such huge overheads it's it's unbelievable and um another thing that Dermot pulled up in this this article is that 
if, if you look at the international sports money league for the moment in terms of what they pay out for player wages, if you look at all sports across the world, you've got three clubs who are ahead of NBA clubs. And if you compare like individual NBA players to um, to professional football players and elite professional football players, um, NBA the top NBA players get paid more in in terms of in terms of their purely footballing salary. Um, but there are three clubs who pay more collectively than any NBA team. And those three clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and you guessed it, Juventus as well. Mm. So, you know, th- th- they are huge money generating machines. But when that stops, you know, they're potentially crippled by absolutely enormous overheads. And I thought it was quite interesting as well, the fact that Real Madrid have just come out actually last night as, as, as we're talking now on, on late on Wednesday um, about saying that they've um, brought, brought forth um, cuts their, the, the, the contracts of their playing squad by um, somewhere between 10 and 20%, depending on what the players actually get paid. It's very interesting, isn't it, that they're taking far less of a cut than Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, perhaps I've misunderstood it, or, or or I'm just plain wrong. But my understanding was that the by far the biggest overhead was player wages. That if you take mm. the, the news that broke at the end of last month that Barcelona players have agreed to take a seventy percent wage cut, clearly that goes a long way to reducing their overheads. But ultimately, as we touched on earlier, you're talking about a, 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 an industry where the product is the, the actually the only product that the industry. Essentially, I know this is an awful way of putting it, but just for illustrative purposes, the only product that that, that, that industry sells has now been suspended. So there is, there is nothing to be sold. So it doesn't. It doesn't really, really. It feels a bit like you're just fiddling while Rome burns by by mm. doing this kind of stuff because the overheads are still going to exist to an extent, and they're still going to be unsustainable because there's no product to sell to to make up the shortfall. Particularly if one of your biggest clients, i.e., the TV companies, aren't going to pay because there's nothing to pay for. So there's a huge amount of challenges still to overcome here. Um, and, yeah. and, and I do have sympathy. I mean, you, you won't often hear me say this, but I do have sympathy with Javier Tebas at the moment because he has to try and instill a little bit of certainty into this game in, in Spain. He has to try and do that. That's kind of the, one of the main roles he's got to perform at the moment. Yet he's got so little to work with for obvious reasons and entirely understandable reasons that when I read his statement and, and you said it was the probably the best way to go about it, I, I understand why you think that. But for me, it felt a bit, well, if you're going to give an option of three and it felt to me like he probably could have given more as well, you're almost not worth doing it at all. Because it doesn't give you any certainty. People are just going to be looking forward to that first date, which I think was at the end of May, twenty eighth and 29th, and waiting for it to come around. And if but it doesn't he can't, manifest itself, he, he can't give certainty. But no, that's what, what I'm saying. What, he's, he's got an impossible position, which is but, why I'm sympathetic towards it. But what he can do is suggest at least a level of planning. Well, which, you and I could do that. It's, Anyone it's can the do best that. you can do. It's the best you can do in this in this situation. How many people out there are are doing that? And I think his job as a business leader is to at least project some vision of confidence. That's really important. Also, what I thought was really interesting is the conversation he had with Ike Casillas on Twitter, where he talked, this was a few days before he came out with these numbers. And he was, he was kind of forced to come out with these dates as well, because some stuff had been leaked in the Spanish press. So that's the other aspect to it. The fact that he had to come out and say, what's what, rather than just let speculation go unchallenged so he had to come out with something i think but the the conversation he he had with casillas where casillas who of course is a candidate or was a candidate before everything was stopped to challenge luis rubiales for the presidency of the rfef which is the spanish fa so presumably tebas and casillas who will have a lot of support when the vote goes forward um could be working together quite closely in the future and will certainly hope to mend fences between La Liga and the RFEF that have, have been quite badly damaged over, over the last. Well, they're going year to have to so. work together, aren't they? So I mean, they're, yeah. this, this this whole thing is going to throw it into 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 unison because they have to work together to get through it. Abs- absolutely, they, they they will, they will. And um, what Casillas had, had had said, and a few people have talked about uh, a few coaches as well have talked about the idea um, that 
football maybe would change its calendar, especially to fit in with uh, the 2022 World Cup, which is which is going to be in winter. But uh, Tebas had come out and said, you know, I think Casillas had said, why doesn't next season start in February or something like that, for example? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we essentially switched to a summer season. And Tebas came out and said... And again, this is something that seems brutal in the circumstances, but he said, well, what are we meant to do with the TV money from from, from next mm. year? We've, we've got contracts going forward years that we, we have to respect. And if we want to come back to a football that's that's sustainable, that's economically viable, then that has to be done. I mean, we, we talked last week, didn't we, about uh, Ligue 1 and the difficulties with the, the, the TV deal there. Now, the development with that, actually, and I, I guess the reason I bring that in here, not only because we're talking about a pan-European solution being relevant, but the fact that it's a Spanish comp- company, Media Pro, which is taking over the rights for televising French football next season, Mm. Uh, and, and then a little bit of it's going to be co-opted to be in who I think might subcontract it to to Canal, so then they're, they're not left with with nothing. Well, how it's moved on is um, Media Pro have, have have come out and said, and they've been a bit quiet in terms of what they're going to do in terms of how they're going to diffuse it, what channels they're going to create to diffuse it, all that sort of stuff. And because they're not known within the market and because they're an overseas broadcaster, people have been a little bit twitchy about it. But the president, Jaime Rures, has, has come out in an interview in, in L'Equipe today, this Thursday, actually, and said, look, we can if, if, if they're not going to pay, we can show the end of the season. Like we will come in early and we will show the games at the end of the season once it starts. We'll almost start the TV deal early. And this is important because one, it gives being and Canal a sort of get out. But two, and this is hugely important, especially when we talk about the scheduling and why the scheduling is important. People have been focusing on player contracts and the expiration date of June the 30th. And of course, that's something that FIFA have talked about this week and, and, and tried to make a thing of. But it's also important because in the case of France, for example, where the new TV deal comes up this year, it's obviously worth a lot more money than the current deal. So they feel that the start of next season is maybe more important, or some of the club presidents at least, feel that the start of next season is more important than the end of this season. One, because they don't know if Canal and Bean are going to pay up for the rest of this season. And two, because it's a nice little financial boost once they get the media pro show on the road. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? But I'll, just quickly, Andy, before we move on entirely from, from this, um, players in Spain, seemingly led by Tony Kroos, want assurances as to where the money is going to go if they do take a wage cut. Going back to that that wage cut issue, cut issue, and there appears to be a bit of a breakdown in trust between them and the powers that be there. But what what's different about that situation compared to what Barcelona players appear to have done unilaterally? Why is why is there a diff- disconnect there? Well, I, I think it follows on from what's happened with with Barcelona and the fact that there is despite the fact that Barcelona um, players have, have accepted this, there, there, there is a disconnect between um, their, their board and the, and, and the players. And um, in fact, a group of Barcelona employees came out after the announcing of the wage cut and said, well, no one from the club has talked to us about protecting our wages or anything like that. So I think Tony Kroos has received some stick, obviously, for saying, well, I don't want to take a wage cut. I want to make my own personal donation and I think that connects actually to what some of the the, the, the Premier League players have done I mean they're, they're doing this fantastic thing together for the, for the NHS um, but I think their sense has always been that they want they want leadership of it and, and I can understand that you know on one hand players are being asked to do the right thing but on the other hand they're being asked to simply just put up and shut up D- don't have an opinion on um, the best way to do it. Don't, um, you know, criticise the fact that it's a collective approach when some players earn a lot more than others. And, you know, that's one of the the, the problematic issues of an a, a, across-the-board pay cut, isn't it? Yeah, So yeah. I feel as if Tony Kroos is a bit like some Premier League players 
has been a little bit scapegoated. He's kind of had to do some backpedaling and said, look, I've, I've never said I don't want to give up any money. That's not what I said. But people have, you know, I guess looked at him and uh, and sort of said, well, look, he's, he's, he's just been a, he's just been a, a tight right-wing footballer who doesn't want to give any of his money away, typical rich bloke, which I, I think is a little bit unfair. What he said is, is more nuanced than that. And I wouldn't be surprised if he looked at what had happened with Barcelona and with Barcelona's non-football, non-playing employees and said, well, you know, we need to know where the money's going. We need to be able to to trust the club to do the right thing. And, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable for players to ask those questions. No, I completely agree. And I also think that um, if you didn't have a relationship with the owner of the club or the big decision makers at the top of the club, um, you would want assurances about you know what the plans are because you know I, I said I think I said this on on the Ramble on Monday or maybe the week before that in the Premier League the combined wealth of the owners of the Premier League clubs is like eighty billion quid mm. and no one's putting any pressure on them to to do anything mm. so I, I just feel like it, it it's absolutely right for for um, players to to want assurances as to what's going to happen with the money because football financially is run in such a crazy way that it, you would never rule anything out. Um, and they want to know that that money's being used in in the right way. I, I, uh, it's always difficult on these types of stories when we do this show for me because I don't speak the native language. So it's translated and you normally get it for a secondary source and, and you don't really know if, if the nuance is lost in, in the translation or whatever. So I, I, didn't, want, I didn't want to bring it up as a, as a way to kind of use it as a stick to beat Tony Crowe with. But it was just interesting to see the difficulties that um, that are, are, are surrounding these decisions, because again, as we talked about already today, it's an unprecedented situation. And I would have sympathy with a bunch of players if they gave up a load of money, which they had signed on as contracts to be earning. I understand it's a lot of money and it's far more than any of us will ever earn. But nevertheless, if that money just went somewhere where it shouldn't have gone or it ended up going into a transfer kitty for two seasons time or something, mm. um, that w- that wouldn't be right. So I do think it's fair for, for him to say, I'm happy to do this. We're all happy to do this. And, and generally speaking, Andy, I think you, you'd probably agree with me on this. The encounters you have with players and they generally are, keen to do the right thing and, and yes. they do a lot of work that goes un, unreported yes. charitably so I don't think that they are the, the the bogeymen here I think it's right that they ask for, for assurances and, and to me that's fair enough five minutes left and Horton's pass intercepted by Baker and he didn't get a good touch on the ball Aylock got it instead Steen drove it low against Caton and Steen again and he gets the cross in, and Williams has come, and Tish! Oh, it's there! They've done it! Ready and Tish! Four minutes from the end! Um, let's let's um, round off today's episode by um, sparing a mention for Raddy Antic, who sadly passed away aged 71 um, uh, this week. He had been suffering from pancreatitis, been ill for some time. Um, he was manager for Atletico Madrid's only double in 1996 and is the only man to manage La Liga's three biggest clubs. Now, some of, some of our older listeners um, may remember him as being involved in the goal that rescued Luton Town from relegation in May 1983. And if you don't remember the goal itself, <laughs> you probably will remember David Pleat galloping across the pitch in his suit like a man late for his daughter's wedding chasing a bus. Um, <laughs> uh, and so he's a legend in Luton with you. And football throws up these amazing kind of situations, doesn't it? It's just, he's a Serbian guy. He managed in Spain. Uh, but he's a legend in Luton. Uh, An interesting character, hugely loved, um, seemed to be quite a principled guy as well. Probably treated a little bit shoddily by Real Madrid, but then you could could probably level that a lot of managers. He was fired with them way clear at the top of the league um, and replaced by Leo Bainhacker, who lasted just six months himself. It was a league title they didn't go on to win but he did have uh, subsequent success at Atletico Madrid and he managed Barcelona um, for a short time as well. So as I said, the only guy to manage La Liga's three biggest clubs. Yeah, and um, I, I, th- I think that the spell in which he was 
looking after Barcelona would have uh, tested the best of coaches. It was it was a really really difficult spell um, for them, and I think he said at the time that that the, the six months in charge he, he was there felt like six years. Um, but he was a, a yeah. great a great storyteller, and this was something that was emphasised in. Um, Sid Lowe's tribute to him in the Guardian, which if you haven't read it, I would I would suggest you dig it out. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, second um, because uh, you were talking about the, the the Luton goal at Manchester City, and I'm not sure which is more arresting when you rewatch the footage of that. Luton's very very cool 80s Adidas strip, or um, David Pleat's suit and and shoe combo. Uh, which was very, made like, it very, very it, difficult it, on such a surface to run on. It's really the pitch. interesting because the kit the players are wearing and the suit the manager's wearing look like they belong in different eras, <laughs> yeah. but they don't. <laughs> no, they, 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 they really don't. They really don't. But um, uh, Sid was saying the fact that um, no one in in Spain was really aware of the Luton situation was great for Radiantish because it he could tell the story again and again and again. It's something he really liked to do. But yeah, we wanted to focus on um, the '96 um, uh, d- double win with with Atletico. Firstly, because it's a one off for them. Secondly, because it was completely unexpected, a bit like the 2014 title, and it was just after. Um, the overpeaking of Johan Cruyff's dream team with 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 Barcelona, mm. um, but you know you, you can't overlook the fact that this is a huge part of Atletico history. I mean, we know how much things have changed under Diego Simeone, but if you go back to the last year they were in the the, the Champions League final, for example, um, in 2016, if you look inside the collar of the Atletico shirts, it says. 95-96 and then next to it 2015-2016 uh, because it's all about the 20-year anniversary of that double under mm. Radi Antiche and uh, it was partly to give them inspiration as as they went for the Champions League again um, but it shows what an absolutely incredible um, pivotal moment it was in Atletico history and if if you look at that team, it it was something that we always talk about Simeone's team representing the 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 best of Atletico and representing not just um, the club but the spirit of the club and the spirit of the barrio, the spirit of the neighbourhood when they were um, the, the Calderon, and that is something that Radiantish was all about as well, and something that he understood very very well. Now, of course. Simeone himself was a player in that season when they was, yeah. they, they won the double, and it was a team based around a particularly strong midfield. So you know, talk to me about of, Caminero. Uh, well, that, that's it. What you think of Kiko le- leading Kiko. leading the line? Uh, the, the the fact is, the players who really worked for him were Jose Luis Caminero was Simeone, who scored a dozen goals that season, which is pretty amazing because people think of him as, you know, just a midfield butcher, really. There was a lot more to him than I mean, that. he was that as well. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but, some, butchers uh, are, some butchers are still really good salesmen, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not mutually exclusive. <laughs> that That is right. But um, Leonardo Biagini, who he, he, he brought in again from South America, who that was his only really outstanding season. He, he contributed a lot. And Milinko Pantic was, was brilliant in that season as well and 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 chipped in with goals from midfield and he was he, he had like from what I remember from partisan Andy, sorry mate just sorry to cut in but what from what I remember because um, it was obviously a lot more difficult to watch football back then from overseas and a lot of my um interest was essentially limited to world soccer magazine and whatever you could pick up uh, on tv highlights or whatever occasionally mm. particularly in european football or champions league or whatever but um Pantic was the guy who had amazing delivery from out wide, right? Yes. And and it's the thing that's classic for me, and I might have got this wrong because memory can be a funny thing, but I remember them having Pantic as a brilliant deliverer of a dead ball and a brilliant uh, crosser of the ball. And then they had Kiko up front, who was a great forward, but was really tall. And I, I, from memory, hardly ever scored a header. Like, I don't remember ever scoring a header, uh, yet they still managed to win the double. And they also had Quinton Fortune in that squad as well, by the way. Yeah, or who... I mean, he came towards the end of the season. He didn't play much, 
Um, yeah. So it, it wasn't it wasn't a huge. Camonero was a great midfield player though. Yeah, he he really was. His, his his movement was absolutely fantastic. And of course, we didn't mention Luba Penev, um, the Bulgarian striker who was already in Spain by that point, but was taken as another example of Radiantisha adding this kind of Eastern European flavour uh, to to this this team. But you know, we talked when we were talking about Bayern at the top about the. the um, the sense of a club's DNA and um, how difficult it can be to move on players who are, are past their sell-by date because they mean a certain something to the club. One of the things we have to say is Abel, their legendary goalkeeper, was one of the first things that Rally Antich did. He moved him on at the start of the season because he mm. was he was close to the end. But again, it was very very difficult to. To, to to move to move him on because like to replace a, a player like that and especially a goalkeeper is something that's really tough. They brought in a uh, Jose Molina from Albacete, I think it was, to 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 replace him in the end. But Abel going at that point, he still had the record for the longest amount of minutes without conceding a goal in La Liga, and especially mm. when. Aletti built on such belt and braces sort of values to move him on was a huge deal of course he ended up coming back and and coaching the team for a, a bit a little bit later Abel but that was another a big decision and it showed really how much he really grasped what the club was about that he managed to move on someone with that sort of experience and that sort of status and yet still produce a team that was so thorough and so represented the club's values Absolutely. And that is clearly very important to a club like Atletico Madrid. But I mean, people listening won't need me to tell them, but I'll state it nonetheless. To win a double in La Liga, if you're not managing Real Madrid or Barcelona, is an incredible achievement. Mm. There's probably a very good reason that Atletico Madrid have only done it once in their entire history. And I don't imagine they'll do it anytime soon again. So for that alone, Antic has to go down as a legend of the game, particularly in Spain. But of course, you know, it's, it's important for us to remember him and his contribution he's made to the game uh, in this country as well. So condolences to his to his family and his friends um, because he achieved a great deal in the, in, in the game. El balón y el gol. El gol del Atlético de Madrid que acaba de marcar Pantich. Acaba de marcar Pantich el gol para el Atlético de Madrid en el minuto 12 de la primera parte de la prórroga. El gol de Pantich para el Atlético de Madrid. All right, that's about it then, Andy, for us today. Um, we'll be back, uh, Football Ramble Daily, of course. We'll be back tomorrow with the preview show with Marcus, Jim, Pete and I. Um, and it's back with the Blizzard's greatest games on Saturday. So look out for that as well. Don't forget to tip your hat to us over on Patreon if you'd like to pay for some extra content, some early access stuff, um, some some uh, opportunity to chat uh, and discuss football with other uh, Patreon subscribers, including ourselves as well, um, do that. Yeah, some idle bands with us. Exactly, Andy. You've, you've mucked in, haven't you? I saw yeah. you mucking in the other day. Um, it's patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Andy, when will we hear you next? We'll hear you next on Tuesday. We'll be with Jules and Andy. We certainly will. We'll look forward to that as well. Stay safe, everyone. Look after yourselves and we'll catch up with you soon. This was a Stakhanov production.